right, so uh, here we go. Another episode of Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I just returned from uh, running gear on our boy Roddy, interviewing Greg from Failure. I think it blew his mind. Uh, so uh, that happened at the Fillmore. Uh, that will be coming out in a few weeks. Uh, my ears are still a little ringing from that. Been a busy week this week here at the headquarters. Uh, it was, uh, I think, a fourth interview. Uh, Going to be like six, I think, before the week is done. Uh, hopefully you listen to our interview with Miss Siobhan Numeray and their friends and our friends Ben Tufts and Derek Avery. That came out on Monday. Uh, we're going to do one with the Parlor Sessions, Andy Zipf and friends. Uh, going to do that on Saturday. Dale Watson coming up. Uh, maybe Jonathan Wilson, so that would require Andre to get really, really high. At any rate, I'm rambling because it's been a busy week. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions. Uh, we talk about a little bit about Sharon Van Etten's new album, Are We There? And the new album from uh, DC punk band Priests. And I will just jump in front of this right now. Uh, you know what, guys? Not everything is magical. We did not love the Priests album. Uh, that's okay, because we didn't hate it. But what we had was a rational discussion and not a 7,000-page scribe uh, dedicated to the DC punk scene, which I think... You know, it was a little overdone. I get it. That's fine. But, yeah, not in that group. Anyways, uh, yeah, so here we go. This is episode number, this is 63. I don't know if I said 62 up front, but this is episode number 63 of the podcast. Uh, yeah, so share a minute and priest. Don't send us hate mail, please. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter. Why aren't you feeling the rock? That wasn't the rock. <laughs> I mean, we're just going to roll with this now, okay? All right. So, so, so uh, I'm just going to look at my phone until Rick Springfield's <laughs> off. This Rick Springfield? Wait. God damn it. All right. Uh, this is the beer. <laughs> This is from uh, the t- lead off track of Working Class Dog. From 1990. 19, not 90, uh, probably 1980. Ooh. Uh, all right, so we're in the basement. Paul's looking at his phone. Susie's on the couch. We're all mic'd up, <laughs> and we're listening to Rick Springfield. Uh, this episode, I don't even know when this could come out, so we'll just stop saying that and do the intros. 
uh, Rick Springfield because, like I was telling you, Paul, I watched a documentary on Rick Springfield, and I could not decide whether I wanted to talk about that or the lead singer of Ario Speedwagon. Ario Speedwagon apparently getting all the ladies in the seventies. Let me tell you, <laughs> the, the best things to talk about on podcasts are things that uh, the other people in the room have no interest in and can't contribute <laughs> to the conversation on. <laughs> Are you sure about that? <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that your final answer? <laughs> yes. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, on one hand, you have Rick Springfield, like, hero to the masses. On the other hand, you have Kevin Cronin, who wants to put his boat into the shore and throw away the oars forever. I don't know. Susie, you're confused. <laughs> Was Rick Springfield in a soap opera? Hell, you see? Now? Now what do you know, Paul? Yes, he was. Uh-huh. He was in General Hospital. Okay. Before he sang Jesse's Girl and this song and a lot of other Jesse's stuff. Girl. The only thing Why Rick Springfield has Jesse's ever done Girl? right is be in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. In what? What? Is, is have his song in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie in one of the most awesome scenes. Which one? Um, Boogie Nights. Oh, that's right. Jesse's Girl when they're th- when the little uh, the little kids throwing oh. the firecrackers at the uh Oh, this? Yeah. This, this is the one we should be playing. Well, I can only think of Dirk Diggler doing a drug deal gone bad right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so. At any rate, I thought I wanted to talk about that shit. Uh, I guess not. Uh, this is, <laughs> it's only funny to me, as most things are. Um, so, uh, last night, though, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony happened. Uh, Daria and I watch it. Yeah. I thought they, they, well, they, they released it, it, the video, video. last yeah, night. Yeah. Televised on HBO. Uh, a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, obviously, Hall and Oates sort of made everything for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially considering it might be interviewing Oates, but we'll have more about that <laughs> later. Crossing um, all the fingers. Yeah. Um, it was interesting because a, a theme started to uh, just form as this thing went along where the bands were actually pissed at the people who put together the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, for example, KISS uh, almost backed out because they wouldn't let all the members in. They just wanted the original four. Uh, And there was some weird stuff with Nirvana, too, who got inducted last night. uh, And the original drummer, who basically came up with a lot of stuff that ended up on Nevermind, is not inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The entire concept of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is kind of bullshit, so I don't really understand. Like, so you're falling on the side it. of the artist. Uh, I mean, that's that's what they were saying. They were like, "Look, you know, all these people. This time it was in it was in an arena, and all these people up here, they're what makes it Hall of Fameish. Like, this is this is what makes it rock, not you old dudes down front and stuff." Right. I can never get worked up about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because. Doesn't it just kind of like go against the entire concept of rock and roll, whatever that means anymore, to have some governing body determining who should be considered legendary? I, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, obviously. So, <laughs> there's a preservation aspect to it, but that gets right. Preserved, right. Like, snoozy. everything's preserved anyway. It doesn't matter. Well, now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. Look, the, this is I'm getting into the. This isn't like, like the 1910s techie-ass. where we have to go and find like the wax cylinders and make sure they don't melt. Like, but that's everything exactly that, what I'm talking about. Everything that's like, still around is, is preserved. I don't. I think there's still there's like, some stuff going out of print. It's yeah. like, have a preservation society then, though. That's not a hall yeah. of fame. Like, true. Like, 
Name it Beats by Apple. But nobody know. wants to, you know, pull, like if you can get together a bunch of people, what's the time frame that you have to be together for you to be nominated? Exactly. The, 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 20 years? I, I, just the, con- the idea that we're asking that question is stupid. Yeah. That's... <laughs> That having been said, that's going to be more exciting than the preservation aspect. Like the preservation I'm has sure to happen. Sure, does you wonderful have to things convert. for Cleveland's tourism industry, but right. other than that, like who cares? And you, yeah. you have to convert the wax cylinders into something, and then that something will stop being viable. And you know, flash drives are not going to be able to be read in twenty years, so mm-hmm. it has to be converted to something else, and then you have to convert it. I mean, but that's like that's news part. If you can get a bunch of that's people in a band twenty years ago on stage. At least you can raise the money to pay for it. I, that's not what it's for. That's not what it's for. You know, uh, I mean. You know, so I'm going like way too like giving them too much credit. Yeah, no, you you are. I think at least. Yeah, and as far as, far as that goes, I mean, I, I look forward to the day when I can just plug the entire Pink Floyd discography into my brain <laughs> and just get that implanted. It'd be like Google Glasses just recorded that. So how do we do that? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was it was interesting. Some good performances, some bad performances. Uh, Chris Martin, St. Vincent covering Nirvana, dude. Okay, so that wasn't good, but it was. and uh, it, it changed my thoughts on the album. Now I'm like, fuck that shit. But Which album? Uh, the St. Vincent album. But like Chris Martin, he played uh, "Here Comes the Flood" or "Watching of the Water." Excuse me. Which is a very uh, a lot of Peter Gabriel's work, I think just works because of his voice and the natural like emotive quality that he gets out of his it. His cadence. Yeah. And but there's a there's a I mean, nobody sings like him. And then you put Chris Martin in to this emotional wallop of a song and it just sucked the air out of everything. And even like Peter Gabriel, good game face. <laughs> you just look at him like, yeah buddy. But you can tell I mean just everybody was sort of like, uh what the fuck is going on? Chris Martin is Mr. X Gwyneth Paltrow, right? Sure. Sure. Maybe he wasn't the best. Yeah. <laughs> They've consciously uncoupled. They have. Yeah, I mean, they consciously uncoupled my <laughs> love for Coldplay right there. I mean, that, yeah, that's that's a long time coming right there, I would hope. Yeah, it was a long time coming. But yeah, so there was that. There was... Uh, uh, Let's see, Hollow Notes, there was a Nirvana thing, which was good, although I think their influence was overstated, uh, which is a whole podcast there. But yeah, the, you, said you want to start Nir- talking about overstated influences of Nirvana, then yes, we need to have a conversation. <laughs> not right now. Yeah, we, we will yeah. do that at a later date then. Um, there was, uh, interestingly enough, the, uh, and we're going to get on to the albums this week. We, we can talk about Sharon Von Etten and DC's Priest, but um, Springsteen was there. And it was unclear at first why he was there. It just, like, cut to, like, the E Street Band playing. And they were actually inducting the E Street Band as a separate unit. And his speech was essentially making the point that, like, there is no separate unit. There is no Springsteen without the E Street Band. Like, this this doesn't work, and that's how great bands work. And then they immediately played off the E Street Band's speeches to go to performance. It was with jump cuts in the middle of it, um, like to maybe a line of people talking about, like from somebody from the East Street Band. It was uh, just egregiously awful, like that they did that, and and otherwise the show was good. I don't know. 
Paul, you're just like, whatever. Yeah, I don't so care. Who, so they always have a, this phenomenal jam session. Who was all... They didn't. They did not... No. Or it wasn't part of the pot. I mean, I guess Nirvana was a jam session. They brought out uh, St. Vincent, mm-hmm. uh, Kim Gordon, which I think was the only person who should have been out there, and Lord, uh, which... <laughs> yeah. There's a spectrum of... I mean, the Lord made no sense, but they all seemed into it. And Dave Grohl is, like, into everything. (laughs) As long as you're going to rock, he's like, fuck, yeah. And you can see that. So, I mean, there was that enthusiasm. But, yeah, and they, they, uh, Annie Clark, St. Vincent came out, and I was sort of like, oh, no. And it was not that great. But then they said Lord, and it was just like, whoa, what the fuck is going on? Uh, But, again, Chris Novoselic, way into it. Uh, Even Kim Gordon was into it. So what the fuck do we know? Like, yeah. Lord's mom, do not attack us on Twitter, please. <laughs> I think Lord's mom's got bigger fish to fry she than our podcast. You know, you would think that. But, <laughs> but look, Sylvanesso is not Lord, all right? Yeah. <laughs> and, they're, they're better. And, See, I'm making up. Oh, look at you. You're trying to get on uh, Sylvanesso's mom's good side mm-hmm. now. She's going to send you some and, cookies or something from her shop in Vermont. I She should. She should. Uh... <laughs> you know, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> all right, damn it. Let's just review some albums. All right, all right. Fuck it. Uh, we've been rambling. Uh, so, so, so what you're saying oh. there is you, we need to go back and check the HBO broad, pod, broadcast. Yeah. What is it now? Like, show of the Hall of Fame induction. Yeah, yeah. The I mean, I, I would go back and watch it. You're going to see some great performances by some great bands. And uh, and obviously, um, the best of those is Hollow Nights. So we'll just leave it at that, and we will go on uh, Sharon Van Etten, new so album out. R.E.M. got in before Hollow Notes? True. As well they should, god damn. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, maybe not really this stretching the, uh, the definition of Hall of Fame right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mm. Here we go, Sharon Van Etten. So that's the first single uh, off of Sharon Van Etten's new album, Are We There? Uh, Sharon Van Etten, a Brooklyn, uh, not native, but located there now, uh, singer-songwriter. 
made her debut in 2009 uh, because I was in love. What immediately jumped out, I think, with that was her voice, which is sterling no matter what she sings. Uh, in 2010, uh, she put out Epic, and then in 2012, followed that up with Tramp, which I think got most of the mainstream. Like it, I didn't care too much for that album, uh, but I don't know if you. Like Paul or... I wasn't a huge fan of Tramp. Yeah. I didn't think it was bad, but it wasn't anything So great. she's back with Are We There, uh, covering uh, at least new Sonic Ground, I think, with this. This is by far her lushest album. Um, she is working with a band fully in the process for the first time. Um, and now she's... Like, she went from being, like, you see her at the Red Palace, to now she's headlining 930 Club, and will probably sell it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Have you, have you seen her before? Yes. Yeah. I've seen her, her, I would say, at least twice, if not three times. I saw her play at the Black Cat, uh-huh. and then she played with um, Damien Gerardo, or he opened up for yeah, her, he opened at, the up for her at the 930 Club. Yeah, um, I think on this, initially, it... Uh, like I said, Epic was not my favorite, or Tramp, excuse mm-hmm. me, was, was not my favorite because it, it her songs tend to be uh, downers, and that, that can be put in mildly. <laughs> uh, her voice is suited to that. I go with I, I achy. Su- achy? Achy. Um, Breaky? Achy. Oh, shit. Breaky, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't get as much. Um, it's... And so, like, a lot of talk has been made about this album being punishing and whatnot. Um, it is, uh, and and I, I want to say this, I want to let you guys get you guys' opinions of what you've heard so far from it. Uh, four albums in, like, I am sort of concerned about what else she has to say. Because in tone, at least... Like she's just beating me down, <laughs> and I love her voice. I mean, I, and I'll take it. Like it's just like, but like, how much misery can this one person have? So, Paul, Susie, I, uh, I like dark. So yeah, this album's really working for me. Yeah. Um, I I have to say, I think this is actually my favorite of her of her albums here. I as you said, it it's lusher than the others. Mm-hmm. I think that the the Texturally, like her sounds uh, are more intricate than they have been before, and yeah, she is unapologetically da- like dark and down, and that works for me. Like this album is is really really good. I think. Is it weird? I mean, it's it's weird to me that it, it's coming out in summer. This is not the time you normally think of that. If you release this in the winter, this might be my favorite album. <laughs> like because it's just like oh, do you have seasonal yeah. affective disorder? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> what, what's wrong with that, bro? <laughs> just checking. So I got to um you know, but it it is I mean, so if you're okay with that, I just like I don't even know what a happy sound would sound like though. I mean, there's some songs that are happier, especially earlier on in career, but this is like the whole thing whole thing through just a big like beautiful sounding like downer. Yeah, but I mean, do you dog on Nick Cave for doing that every album? No, because it's dead, and that would be mean. <laughs> <laughs> do you dog on Dead? No, I don't. <laughs> it um, becomes part of the catalog. 
So, Susie, I mean, you, you've seen her a bunch of times, and and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and you're familiar with our work. So what, what, I f- what do you think of this new one? I feel like she... This can be true of several artists, but I listen to the album, and I don't connect to it until I see her perform it live. Mm-hmm. And when I see the live performance... Something ab- makes the songs pop, and when I go back to the album, then I'm able to find my favorites and find the ones that stay with me and become the absolute favorites. Right. It's really, and I can't say that's true for you know all bands. Some bands, you know, the album is great and the live performance is great, and I don't need the both of them to come together. Um, but I feel with her that where the songs have really become resonant mm-hmm. has seen has been seeing her perform them live even when I'm familiar with them and I know them and then I go back to listening to them and it there's an extra flavor added to the recording it, it, yeah I, mean, I think what resonates is that it actually gets a little weird because if she'll sing this like song that's just crushing and then be all like super happy <laughs> like she's so happy to be doing this. Yes, and and she's she is really good. I mean, it, it 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 doesn't pull me back to the albums, but like I would see this live no matter. I would see her play wherever because like she opens her mouth to sing and it's just like what in the actual fuck? Like and you, she plays the harmonium sometimes. I mean, it's just yeah. this like thing with her and her voice and the atmosphere she creates around it. But even a song like that, like you know. You listen to that and like, Dad, I'm really down. I guarantee <laughs> you, you see it live, and you would be, it, it would become uplifting. It's kind yeah. of hard to make a song where the lyrics are like, "Break my legs so I can't run to you." Uplifting. Yeah, but there's some weird catharsis that I think she hasn't quite. I, I think she got a little on, um, not uh, maybe epic, a little more on that. But and, and that was the problem I had with Tramp is that it didn't didn't resonate at all with me and I was like this is just more of the same better production um mm. and yeah it is hard to like make that uplifting but I think she she has the ability to do that but only live and, and I'm that's what I was concerned about like this far four albums now like that it's not conveying to the record but but do you need to I mean there's there's albums you listen to when you want to go out in the sun and have a good time and mm-hmm. there's albums that you listen to when you want to when you're having a little bit more of a down day right here she doesn't need to cover all the bases okay I mean that's fair enough uh there's let's, let's hear another song off this this is uh, every time the sun comes up I think this is the last song on the album it's one of the last songs uh it's actually my favorite song on the album so Sun comes up, I'm in trouble 
right, so that's every time this one comes up. I mean, even in that, she's, you know, questioning, like, with her career. So self-referential. Not as self-referential as Old 97s who played here last night, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, saying, you know, what people say I'm a one-hit wonder. I don't know anybody who's saying that, but one note, I, I mean, that is a much lesser thing, but you could find that song on any of her albums going back to the first one. Uh, and so it, it is, it's enjoyable to hear, um, but is it, is that where we're, is that where her career is going? Is what I, what I sort of wonder about this album, because... If it's just going to be this every two years with minor tweaks, like even this album, I, I like it a lot more. Like you said, you think this is her favorite. Like it's not compelling enough for me to actually just be like, yeah, I'll just follow her wherever. Mm-hmm. Well, follow. I don't know. That just sounds to me like personal preference right there. Because sure. uh, I mean, she's a singer songwriter. Like you're writing from your experience, you're writing from. You know where the lyrics come from. Mm-hmm. You, you're not. It's not going to sound personal if you're not relating to the lyrics you're actually writing. And if this is the kind of stuff that just that flows out of her when she's writing, that's the kind of song yeah. she's going to write. And if you're in the mood for this kind of an album for uh, for these types of songs, then I think you're going to turn to this one pretty frequently. Yeah. I don't think she's going to write a summer jam. <laughs> I don't, but uh, and actually, it's funny we were talking so Vanessa up front. Like, do you think any of these will end up in like a really, uh, really dour Volkswagen commercial? <laughs> I don't think you're selling cars with this one. No, no. not no. at all. No, no, not even like the background selling the lifestyle. Because no, I mean, that song is it's not upbeat clearly, but it is you know because every time the sun comes up, I'm in trouble. Is not. I, I could see this this uh, scoring some uh, you know. Pensive scenes in like a WB drama or something like that. No, maybe they'll throw it into your favorite show, Arrow. <laughs> What's that hospital drama? Favorite show is, in fact, uh, what is it? Orphan Black because it's awesome. Mindy Orphan- Project. No, not Mindy Project. Uh, Gossip Girl. Oh. Okay, that's just not on the is air that anymore. Still on? You, no, you don't get to count it if it's not on the air. Okay, I won't. It would. To- <laughs> it would totally be in Gossip Girl. Would totally be in Gossip Girl. Like. Multiple times. Yeah. They mm-hmm. would be like, fuck it, we're just reusing it because it worked. It made everybody cry. Yes, it would work in multiple ways. In multiple that scenes. show sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, it's not I, on the air. At any rate, um, I think... So is- one of the interesting things that I... So when we interviewed Matt from Real Estate, mm-hmm. he said rather than try and change up, he, they try to improve what they do. Instead of writing something different, going into a different vein, yeah. they stuck to what they know but tried to make it better. Mm-hmm. So tighter, better lyrics, better sound, better coming together. Yeah. And in some way, you know, and that's what she seems to be doing as well. Oh, for sure. Instead of like cutting out new ground or creating the summer jam she's she's sticking to what she knows but maybe making it the better tighter mm-hmm. no for sure I mean this is her best selling album period mm-hmm. like this is this is like her evolving as a, a manager of a band essentially like you know just mm-hmm. making it so like everything's gonna work and, and she's getting all this input from all these people that aren't her but to understand what she's trying to say and how they're going to present it, um, it, and you don't always have to be. It's actually this 
sort of, I think we're going to touch on that in the priest discussion. You don't always have to be necessarily uh, breaking, you know, the mold, pushing boundaries mm-hmm. every time. Um, but if I can't put on, if I put on album one and album four and anything in between, and I can't necessarily tell uh, what's from what, mm-hmm. like, I, I do think you should be trying to make a statement that is unique. I think that should be unique. And I think the best albums at the end of the day do that. But I think we all just said that she's improved her, her production. She's changed the sound Mm -hmm. around it. Like you're, you're talking about thematic constancy, not a lack of evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all, all that said and done, uh, I think, Susie, where are you going to fall on this? Because of my history with her, I am definitely going to own it. Okay. Um, and I know that right now it's sort of a, a non-distinct sea of feelings. Uh-huh. But over time, um, as I play it, things are going to jump out and just resonate with this time and this place. And they'll become um, pieces that I'll actually mark my own life by. Oh, okay. So, Paul? Buy it. You're going to buy it? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to stream it. Um, it. It is, uh, like, three other albums this year. This, The Toon Yards, and and, and uh, Damien Gerardo. I think takes a little time to process. We've mm-hmm. been processing it for about a week. And, uh, yeah, so I'm going to stream it. might change by the end of the year. Uh, that having been said, it's, it's good to put on in the morning and drink your coffee right now. So... <laughs> Uh, one album that's not hard to process is a new album from uh, DC band Priests. The uh, name of the album is Bodies and Control and Money and Power, and this is the first single from that. It's a metaphor. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, that is Doctor. It premiered on NPR, Spin, everywhere. Um, Priest may be the, the you know, great white hope of DC for the, the DC punk scene. Paul, though, how does this that song specifically make you feel? <laughs> I don't understand that song very much. <laughs> I mean, this, this, it's consistent with the rest of the album, though. I, I, it's not. I can't say they don't have a perspective. Mm-hmm. They have a perspective. I just don't know that it's all that interesting. Yeah, is the problem. Like it seems like a lot of you know surface level uh, rage against the system without anything really underlying it. It it's too calculated for actual punk, and it's. Too shitty sounding for actual music. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so goodbye, <laughs> listener number 73. Uh, yeah, so I mean, the deal here's the deal with Priest is that they've been around for, I think, a couple years now and yeah. was a trio, now a four piece. 
Uh, DC has this proclivity or, or need to uh, try to resurrect the DC punk scene. Not only should that never happen, it's not going to. Uh, so it's frustrating to see people still do this, but this is the band that has been thrown up into that mold, and this is what they're going to be looking at. There was like a 7,000-word thing in the city paper, an article in the Post. Um, and when stuff like that happens, and I'm really trying hard to not react to the hype, but when stuff like that happens, I have to ask, in this case, you know, did anybody actually listen to the music? Um, it is perfectly acceptable pop punk which front woman Katie Alice Greer would mm-hmm. probably punch me for saying it's pop anything I, I don't I don't see the pop part of the pop punk right here I uh, well by pop I mean it's it's very uh, very safe this is I, this okay is, okay okay hold on hold on I, I I'll give you the safety but to me pop punk is an actual sound yeah, yeah. and this is aping sounds that predate pop punk more well, than there's, actual there's pop a song right wing that sounds like could be like Veruca Salt or something really you think yeah, that, you think yeah I think Veruca well maybe Salt? not Veruca Salt but like there's a lot of mid 90s uh, stuff uh, I don't want to say belly uh, although that came to mind but it's very it's very Velocity, safe no, no not Velocity no uh, uh, maybe Elastica Stuff like that. Elastica. Yeah. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, but, I mean, and we're risking the danger of being like, oh, you know, these are all female front of bands or whatnot. I, Hmm. the thing in in listening to this is that you get, there's more context around this than there's content in the music. So if you read this 7,000 word piece, like, uh, she is talking about like gentrification, and Paul and you, you and I had this conversation. And it's like if you're upset that, and your idea of gentrification means it's no longer, you no longer have a rehearsal space for your punk music. You need to shut the fuck up. Like, and I can't say that strongly enough, especially here in DC. Like, this is yeah. I I, I don't want to get too down on them for that no, statement because because we don't know they were joking and, and I also want to give I, I don't know the, I, I want to give them credit for whatever the rest of the context mm-hmm. was because as part of a sequence it is actually true it's like original communities yeah. get displaced yeah. art by by artists and then artists get displaced by people with money once they've mm-hmm. like once the community's mm-hmm. gone like sure. that that's part of the pattern but the fact that the pull quote was something to the effect of like. First, the punks come in, and then the and then the gentrification happens, or something like that. Yeah, and, and, that, and that is it's. I think that's at the end of the day. Uh, I mean, I actually, if I can remove myself from it, I will listen to this. I actually enjoy like what they're doing because I I enjoyed that like when it was going on. I yeah. guess. Um, but well, and, I, and I like it too. When I said shitty sounding, what I what I mean by that is like punk is shitty sounding. Mm-hmm. It sounds like shit. That's part of There's it. Like production values is that's what you get. Yeah, but the problem is that like the best punk bands like feel like they've got something to say. Or there's an actual rage underneath there, and well, I feel like a lot of their their image and their production is very calculated and very PR heavy, and that kind of grates because you know when you're talking about. A band that uh, follows this, and you know, we're, let's let's dive right into this. Follows a DIY aesthetic yeah. in an area in an era when DIY actual do it yourself, not DIY in quotes, mm-hmm, can mm-hmm. be very complex. Mm-hmm. You've got a high bar to clear right there because that means you are intentionally sounding bad 
to hearken back to a specific musical era yeah. rather than sounding in a, rather than sounding like this because it's all you can afford or all mm-hmm. your skill set allows exactly. and you just have to say, and you just have to say something exactly and and it, and it's a thing that has been like uh, because this like the DC punk thing was you know now twenty years past thirty years past even uh, it, it's a thing that like people have fetishized and it makes I mean it makes total sense like mm-hmm. I get it that happens mm-hmm. in, in whatever genre you're gonna have and it makes sense that it's here because it happened here but yeah exactly like this this is not a um, this is a well produced record mm-hmm. you know that they're doing thing. like there's nothing that makes me believe that this was not like let's spend a bunch of money in the studio and make it sound like Palpable to radio. Mm-hmm. You can play it on any station and it'll be fine. You, you, you premiere I it on pitch. I could understand her words, which was a shock to me when I was like, she's, I'm complaining about fingers in someone's mouth. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually like had a jolt with that kind of. Usually, I it's a lot of rage of voice with the bad production values where I eventually get the idea of what mm-hmm. the recording is trying to incite me about, but here it was very clear. Like you could get the lyrics, you could get the sound. Yeah, and and I think that's intentional. Like I think I think they're they know they know what product they're doing. I think there's a lot of passion behind this. Uh, some of it probably misinformed, obviously, um, as we'll hear in like, the song we're going to play and breeding. But um, I think actually let's just play that, and then we'll mm-hmm. come back and talk more about that. talking about like what they're like raging against like yeah i went to college yeah i got a job but i still can't figure out how to join the mob like i, I it, it just doesn't, it it's not deserving of the rate like where's yeah. the, why would if, if that's what you're raging about like you are purely like trying to evoke an aesthetic and that's it and there's there's nothing like i don't want to say authentic but i mean it, it like, rhymes hmm it rhymes. <laughs> it rhymes. I and like we were saying, that that is the best song on the album. Yeah, and I think that that song shows what they what they could be. And I mean, that's the one that makes me think like, okay, they've listened to some Bikini Kill and things like that, mm-hmm. and they've got a they, they've mm. got a little bit. bit that's of that what I was trying to place it at. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but uh, 
but they, but whereas Bikini Kill had a very strong point of view uh-huh. and actual grievances, yeah. this doesn't have the depth to it. Which is not to say there's nothing to have grievances about, even from their even from their position. Mm-hmm. They could. It's just not articulated well, you know. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we we don't know them. I mean, we. Yeah. I, I mean, you've seen them once. I mean, we. You know, yeah, I saw them, and that's that's the other thing I want to get to here. Maybe they've gotten better since I saw them, but like you keep reading about how what a great live show they give, and it's the. From my experience, it's the kind of live show where energy is confused for stage presence. Yeah, like mm-hmm. they've got a lot of energy, and they th- and like the lead singer especially throws herself right into it. But that's not the same as connecting with an audience and knowing how the knowing how your uh, your stage show is produced and the mm-hmm. effect you're trying to get. It's just thrashing around, which is great for a house show. It's yeah. not Where'd fantastic you- if you're going to start playing larger venues. Do you see them at a house show? No, I saw them at DC9, which is, you know, one step up from a house one show. Step up from a house show yeah. I saw them at Fort Reno last summer and I and and I think that's I think that gig was like name checked in one of the articles. Yeah, and well, like I think they actually were there a couple times. Yeah. Um but I I think that also though, like despite the shambling nature of that, like that still attracted people's attention where normally they'd be ordering drinks and not at Fort Reno, obviously, but just not paying attention in that band's opening. But having somebody create that dynamic on stage yeah, is well, I mean, enough yeah, of yeah. a shock for and DC, they, they, I think they suffered because of who I saw them with. I believe that, that was the show where they opened for Hunters and Bleached. And both of those acts like yeah. have a lot of energy, but a lot, but have their stage presence is a lot more worked out. Mm-hmm. And so seeing that kind of uh, that chaotic nature with some... Bands that play somewhat similar music, just on a more—I I don't want to say evolved, but a mm-hmm. more advanced level—after yeah, yeah. them did not help. So yeah, and I think yeah, I mean, in the end, for me, this is um, maybe it's a good—it's a sign of good things to come. I think they're—they just need a lot of development, and and part of it is, I, look, I'm old. I, I've seen it. I've seen it done. I've seen it, but like. I was at a Fugazi show. There's a there is a uh, venue in Salem, Virginia. It's a country and western venue, and lots of Fugazi fans down there. So they actually converted it one night to this is in the mid '90s. They call it like No Alternative or something, and Fugazi played there. And this is about 1,100 seat venue, and it really is just a warehouse you walk into. And some 14 year old girl knocked me the fuck out like just looked me in the face and knocked me the fuck out I feel like that's that person maybe grown up and and, and fronting this and the, the point of it is though that person was missing the whole point of the Fugazi show by the way, you're also now on record as having been knocked out by a 14 year old I, I am, I am but, but she knocked me the fuck out and and so I feel like you know, as you as you obviously go through like generations removed from this stuff, the actual meaning of it, like they were railing against like social injustice, uh, Reagan, like in the nation's capital and doing it well, and punk has just sort of diffused into now it can be you can just be loud and aggressive, and that's mm-hmm. called punk. Um, so uh, a lot of my reaction to this is like. Please do not call it like hearkening back to these days because 
Um, and maybe they have other material that I don't know about that does. I've also considered that. It's possible. It's But, you know... It just, it's hard to avoid the watered down nature of it. You bring up Fugazi, mm-hmm. and Fugazi was, uh, and they bring up Fugazi. And nobody should bring up Fugazi right, in DC right. anymore, ever. They shouldn't. Like, it, that's, it should be retired. <laughs> but, like, you know, if, you're, if you are consciously hearkening back to that, and especially, like, in the social consciousness aspects of it, Fugazi, like, actually took a stand. You know, they, yeah. they took Multiple. a stand with where they played, with how they distributed their music, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so far, Priest's version of taking a stand, as far as I know, is lobbing Chipotle out of an audience <laughs> at a uh, at a at a pitchfork event sponsored by Dr. Martin's to protest like <laughs> the the corporate sponsorship of the event. But like that That's the opposite of punk. That, that's not right. Like it, it's like don't, you don't have to make a statement, but if you're going to make a statement, make it a real statement. Don't. don't uh, and I swear to God, like if you guys could, if anybody listening like knows me or Paul, but if you guys can see us right now, we are the opposite of punk. And if we're saying <laughs> that this is the opposite of punk, like we know from that, there's a, there's a real, real issue. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, Susie. Um, I based on okay, I'm gonna hold it. For? For the, what if I'm going to buy or stream or... I, I think we can get there now. I think mm-hmm. I think we've pretty uh, fully discussed this one. <laughs> so I am uh, sucked in by their live show. I do feel like they're entertaining mm-hmm. and they, maybe I've, they've progressed since I saw them from the summer through the DC9 show, which I missed, and then seeing them open up for Perling Hiss and Pistines. Uh, they captured the audience's attention, and that leads me to say... And she had some like great in-between song dialogue, too, that was funny and mm-hmm. witty. Um, I will stream it and really keep my eye on them. Okay. Paul? I think it's worth a stream. Yeah. I think... Normally, I I would... For something like this, I would actually pass on it. Because I don't necessarily need to... uh, Like, me personally, I I probably won't listen to this ever again. Um, And it's not because it's terrible. It's just not necessarily my thing. They do, however misdirected in my book, get an A++ for, like, uh, passion towards it and what they're doing. And, like, at no point in this record do I feel like that they are they were phoning not in. feeling it. Yeah, they're not, they're not phoning in. So, uh... In some ways, too, they're, in this sense, I, I think that they're the victim of the internetization of music, where they're, like, thrust out into the forefront before they've actually solidified well, their Well, hold on, hold on. Base. They signed with Don Giovanni. That was a choice that they made yeah. right there. So it was a choice that they made, and they have a 7,000-piece uh, you know, thing right. in the city mm-hmm. paper about them. You don't. You, you, you can control the speed with which mm-hmm. you go out there. I'm not saying that you should turn down a record deal when it comes your way, yeah. but you can't be like, oh, I don't know. They're still in the incubator. They shouldn't be out there yet yeah. when it's a band that chose... To submit to these profiles, chose to sign on with like a, with a taste making record label mm-hmm. known for punk music. Mm-hmm. Still, though, my gut feel is that they're gonna—they might have a couple paths in front of them. But mm. if they were to 
percolate a little bit. They put out a more sophisticated. Yeah, and and that's why I'm going to say stream it. And so I mean, I'm going to the show on Tuesday. The CD release shows at the Black Cat this Tuesday, uh, which will be in the past now because this will come out on Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) But um, and. Because I haven't seen them. I want to see them. I want to see what they can do. Uh, they've got my interest. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, I don't think this EP is necessarily great or going to revive like anything as they would have you believe. Maybe next year there'll be a fucking amazing album. I feel a little push for you, Paul, and then they would be like one of your favorite things ever. I, I, I agree. That's yeah. why I'm I'm a little bit sad because this is the kind of music that I actually really like, and it just it's not doing it for me. Yeah. So, all right. So that is uh, about our podcast for this week. Also, the show's on Monday. What <laughs> the fuck? Lies. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm busy tomorrow. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's our podcast for this week. Uh, we are going to continue to be feeding you the interviews. We've got a couple good ones coming up, and then we'll drop sporadically in here and review some albums. I think the summer is sort of the slow season, so you might see less of those, although we've talked about doing something where we'll just hang out and get drunk on microphone for you, which would be different in no way whatsoever <laughs> no, no, no. than what we're doing now. Uh, yeah, so thank you for listening as always, and we will see you in a week or two or something. Yeah, later. <laughs> <laughs>